Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert's, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily. A very good Friday to you. This is the final daily Premier League podcast of the week, which is usually kind of a little bit of respite before we get stuck into the weekend's action. But this weekend, for a change, it's a bit of Premier League respite because mostly over the weekend, it's all about the FA Cup. But there is loads to talk about on today's Premier League podcast, a load of news, a load of reaction to go through. I'm going to be doing that in the company of Niall McCorney. Up, Niall. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thank you. And we've got Steve Shanyaski too. You good, Shanners? Hello, yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for asking. Good. Well, we've got no time for any pleasantries today as there's a mountain of stuff to get through. We've got Manchester United winning again, but somehow still being in fifth spot. We've got Brighton grabbing a point away from home to potentially secure their Premier League survival. We've got Leicester City breathing new life into their Champions League hopes. And we've got a relegation seven-pointer tonight, I reckon. It's Watford travelling to West Ham. Plus, we're going to make Pompey fan Niall admit but Southampton are actually playing some pretty good football at the moment. <laughs> I don't think that'll be happening. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm Jim Salverson, and we're going to kick off not with one of the matches from last night, but with a few bits of news relating to next season's Premier League and potential rule changes there. Two big things to talk about. One, the transfer window. They've announced when that is going to be opening and shutting. It's going to be opening the day after the season finishes, which, uh, from memory, is the 27th, I think. And then it's going to be closing on October the 5th. So a decent-sized window for the Premier League. The other thing we're going to talk about is the proposed change to substitutes. The suggestion is that, as with this project restart period of football, five subs are going to be allowed next season instead of the traditional three. That's not been rubber-stamped yet. That is still a proposal. So let's start with the news that is confirmed, and that's the Premier League transfer window. Closing October 5th, which falls in line with UEFA's request to leagues that they should follow their guidelines, which I guess is a big positive because we don't want to be in a scenario like we were last season, Niall, where the window shut in the Premier League and the rest of Europe were free to continue making transfers for a couple of weeks. Exactly, Jim. And this happened before, as you say, where a couple of seasons ago, the Premier League were like, right, we're going to try something new. We're going to end the transfer window earlier. Who fancies joining us, lads? And all the other European leagues went, no. We're not doing that. And it left the Premier League absolutely high and dry. And I think by going down that route, it actually weakens the Premier League in terms of 
the ability to attract players and you know you need to fall in line with the rest of Europe and I know the Premier League is the biggest strongest most financially viable league out of all the leagues in Europe but it still doesn't mean it puts it on a different footing in terms of transfers if you want the best players from other leagues you're going to have to fall in line with their transfer windows that's the way it works and I think the extension to this one as you say 27th of July to 5th of October is probably just to give clubs a, a little bit of leeway in terms of what's happened with the, the COVID-19 outbreak and we know that finances are going to be uh, slightly impacted by the fact that there have been no fans in stadiums and revenue streams have been affected so I think given that little bit of grace an extra two months yeah and I think obviously part of that is because we've spent a month now finishing the season so maybe focuses from managers would be there and directors of football would be there on finishing the season and you can't you know recruit for players until you know what you're playing in next season for the likes mm. of Manchester United it probably doesn't matter as much because whether they finish in the Champions League or the Europa League they're a big club they're going to be able to attract the best players but if you're talking about someone like Sheffield United or even Leicester City if Leicester finish in the Champions League as opposed to the Europa League they might be able to take on uh, a transfer of the next calibre and bring in even better players than what they had their eye on before so I think that is partly to do with it because obviously we've we've lost a load of time with the COVID-19 outbreak and having the season suspended so it gives teams a little bit more time to kind of get their ducks in order and and look for those transfers and also build up a bit of cash again because they're going to be strapped for cash because of the outbreak and therefore it's going to take longer for deals to get over the line the old other way works as well of course with teams knowing whether they're going to be able to hang on to players whether it be because they have champions league football or whether it's whether they're still in the premier league or not so that's going to have an impact my kind of feeling is on this that the summer window is still going to be quiet. There's still going to be this recovery period financially for clubs. There's still going to be a bit of uncertainty about what the new season's going to hold. But I think, Steve, it could make the January window really interesting because from the close of the summer window to the opening of the January window is only three months of football. So it would be quite reasonable for clubs to go, well, let's see how we do. Let's see how we cope in the first three months. And then if we need to recruit in January, that's when we spend the money. It's a really good point, and also any delays, like, for example, I'm a United fan, we can't get a deal done these days at all, so <laughs> any delay, like Bruno, we needed him, we wanted him, we didn't sign him till midway through the season, and it'll be the same, and I totally agree with you that any delay, this this period, this year, is just absolutely wipe it off the board, it's been horrendous for everything, and these any delays, like... Offices will be opening again, and and FIFA will be Doris will go in. She'll water the plants and stuff like that, and the world <laughs> will return slowly to normal. But like teams buying players, God knows where. Like what the mentality of players is. They've been fantastic since the start of the re since the restart. I think players. It's been surprising how invigorated, how well they've played, mm. and and how professional and how fit they seem. To be honest with you, as well. I not really noticed, except for a couple of really sort of couple of leggy games. I think Newcastle looked pretty leggy the other day, and you don't. Re- I've not really noticed particularly much. I know there's five subs at the moment and stuff like that, but any delay on signings is great. And God knows when the season. Do we even know when the season's going to start? next year so. I think they're working towards something like the 29th of August to the 12th of September something around there mm. so I mean mid-September um, I reckon would be an accurate sort of stab at when it would start yeah. yeah and you've got players minds are in two places I bet they cannot wait for this to be over right now because all the way through their life they've ended a season they've ended playing around June and they have a, a time with their family and stuff like that they've had a bit of weird time with their family where they probably have to live in the gym constantly and stay away from a lot of people in their family. So they've not really even had a, a break particularly, have they? So I think they're going to, most players are going to relish this break and then people are going to start saying, well, we want you to sign with United or we want you to do this or you want to do that. And, and everyone's going to need a little while to get almost the amount of time that we were off in lockdown for everything to be sort of put back into place and get things moving. Mm. So, you know, this is a two month delay you're saying really in, in, uh, in the window quite right possibly three whatever it would take because man you can't have three because then it'd be straight away in january and i totally agree jim the january window is just probably going to be the more, more active of the two because people players managers uh admin uh, the board and all these sort of things are gonna start getting their heads around what they want to be doing where they're going to be generating revenue they might try and sign galactico players that sell shirts rather than because 
everyone's going to be skint, totally mm. skint. It's it's frightening what it's going to be like till the rest of the year. Um, yeah, and hopefully United will actually do a deal <laughs> in time would be amazing. But yeah, any delay is probably more beneficial to us than anyone, really. I guess for the smaller clubs, it's the age-old concern of it's not to the window shuts that you know that your squad is settled, you know what you've got to deal with for the rest of the season. There's going to be an extension into the season beyond what would normally be acceptable. So there's certainly going to be an impact to the selling clubs rather than the buying ones, perhaps. And also the other new rule that looks to be introduced is probably going to impact the bottom end of the table more than the top. And it's the idea to continue to use five subs for next season that's been the case during lockdown i don't quite know why it's suggested it could be something that's introduced next season as well i don't quite understand what the justification is for it but there will be a vote at some point 14 out of the 20 premier league clubs need to agree to it and to give it the green light but if it does get the go-ahead Niall, what's the impact going to be for you Well, I think the impact is what everyone's been saying on social media when this news kind of bubbled to the surface was that what about the smaller clubs? What about the clubs that can't afford to make massive um, additions to their squad and compete with those substitutes like you see at the likes of Manchester City, for example? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've said for so many times, we've said so many times on this podcast that Manchester City have such a good squad that they could field literally a completely different starting eleven from one game to the next. And still beat the majority do. of yeah, and still beat the majority yeah. of Premier League teams because that is the strength of the squad that they've got. Whereas you think of a team like I don't know, let's say Watford for example, or Bournemouth or Aston Villa, teams like that who have suffered with injuries this season. I don't know, Newcastle United have had real bad injury problems this season across the board from day one to now, and their second string side. I mean, if they're leading one nil in the last minute against Manchester City or the last five minutes, and Pep Guardiola brings on Foden. Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, and poor old Steve Bruce is looking across at his bench and he's thinking, <laughs> "Oh no, what what have I got to bring on?" And that's the pro- yeah. that's the problem that teams are going to find. However, I do think it comes down to this idea that we've spoken about before, and lots of people keep mentioning these days that football is an entertainment business. And I do think that we've seen that with the way that the games restarted during this lockdown period and the fact that they've introduced these five subs, firstly because it was summer, um, not that that makes much of a difference here in the UK because it barely gets above 20 odd degrees. But <laughs> the, the point is, I think, to give players um, a bit of a breather because they've had obviously three months of no football and no intense training. They're not match fit. And so it was kind of for the welfare of the players. But also I'm thinking it's quite entertaining because if you're, if you're doing it next season when fans are allowed back in the stadium... You know, and you go to a game and you want to see the best players, don't you? As a punter, as a paying punter, you want to see the best players on the pitch. So I do think there's two sides to it. You talk about entertainment, though, but if you think about it, you can have five subs during the game. You've got Mourinho, and all he'll do is sit there all the way through the game thinking, how can I get more defence on the, on the pitch? <laughs> how can I pull all my strikers off and get more defensive midfielders and defenders and wing-backs on the pitch? So, yeah, maybe. I think he would just lock up even, even more. So On that point as well, Steve, the fact is that I mean, what is it in a football match? The ball is in play for like 40 out of the 90 minutes because obviously it's going off for throw-ins and goal kicks and stuff. With substitutes, it's just going to slow down the game even more, isn't it? I'm I'm a complete misery when it comes to any kind of rule changes anyway. My instant reaction to anything is, oh, why do they have to change it? It was fine how it was. Don't fix what's not broke. And I kind of feel like that about the subs rule. I can see why they've done it during lockdown, but for the long term... Surely it's just going to disrupt the flow of the game. It's just another excuse for stoppages. It's just more pauses in the action. So yeah, but- it's not for me. I do think it benefits the big teams who have had Burnley in the, in, during lockdown. I haven't even been able to field a full bench. How does a team like that cope when, as you say, you've got Manchester City fielding two 11s? It's, I'm not sure for me. And I think probably on the balance of it, it's going to benefit when they say they need a majority of 14 out of 20 to pass the vote I'd say it's going to be a hindrance to more than 14 clubs in the Premier League I don't think it's going to pass but we'll have to wait and see when the full votes on that is let's go on to last night's games we've got loads to go through so we're going to try and rattle through these fairly quickly and we're going to start with Everton versus Aston Villa Everton won Aston Villa won it looked for a moment like Aston Villa were going to take all three points it was a late Everton goal that stole the victory in the end and Villa will be hugely disappointed to drop that because a point doesn't look like it's going to be enough Steve 
Um, no, and you worry for Villa, really, don't you? Everton are just sort of sat there. But Grealish isn't really firing. He, he, there's obviously constant talk about him moving on and stuff like that. Grealish is, is really their most creative pr- player. And um, if if he's not firing, then it's just there's just nothing happening on the pitch whatsoever. I didn't watch much. I watched the highlights of this game, so I've not seen too much of it. But my constant thought about Villa is that they're in desperate Dire straits, I would say. They need to sort themselves mm. out quickly. With Jack Grealish, I thought it was a weird one. And I'm kind of a little bit hot and cold on Jack Grealish. You can help me out with this one, Niall. Because he is Aston Villa's most creative player. And yesterday, watching that game, every single good thing about Aston Villa going forward was through Jack Grealish. Yet the end product last night, and the end product probably for the last... Certainly the second half of the season hasn't really been there. It's almost like he feels like he needs to do everything himself. So he's not looking for that final ball. And if he is delivering that final ball, the pressure's too much and he's not quite making it, which kind of makes me... I don't know whether if I was a football manager looking at him as a potential to bring into my football club, that would be a concern for me or whether that is a result of playing for Aston Villa and maybe he doesn't quite trust his teammates. The most telling thing for me, Jim, is that Aston Villa spent over £100 million in the summer and Jack Grealish cost them nothing and he has been their most reliable player. As you say, everything's gone through him and I think pretty much since um, people were starting to wax lyrical about Grealish and saying how good he was, teams started doubling up on him. I've seen that a few times during this post-restart period where teams have put two, sometimes even three men on Jack Grealish and you stop Aston Villa. It's, the, you know, I mean, it's become a cliche in the month that we've had Project Restart. Stop Grealish, stop Aston Villa. And that's the way it seems to have worked. I think you're right. I think Grealish, I think because... The best players, even when they've been marked out of the game, still find a way to do something. And I think Eden Hazard used to do that, especially when people used to say he didn't turn up for the big games and then all of a sudden he'd explode into life for two or three minutes at the end and score or he'd make something happen. We've not quite seen that with Grealish just yet. I do think if he has better players around him, I think he could be a very, very, very good player. I don't think it's a lack of trust in his teammates. I just think that everyone knows, even the Villa players know, that if they don't give the ball to Grealish, the chances of them scoring a goal is greatly diminished. I mean, just to kind of hammer home the point there, Grealish has been the most fouled player since Premier League records began. No one has been fouled more oh, times in a Premier Graham League season. Graham Souness says that's because he just holds the ball for too long. It's nothing no. to do with his talent because yeah. <laughs> he's not passing it quick enough. Yeah. Graham Souness, the man who loved a fair challenge, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, I just think that speaks volumes, to be honest. The fact that he's been fouled the most times um, in history of the Premier League statistics. Mm. I get the feeling he would flourish somewhere else, Grealish. Clearly, if he's been man-marked like that, it's a difficult circumstance if you can't trust the players you're going to pass it to so you're going to hold on to it and try and look for a bit of flair and get a bit more space and pass the ball any any split second more thought on the pitch means you're just going to lose the ball it's as simple as that Grealish in another team you know there's obviously talk of him signing with United I don't feel he would he wouldn't be like a Bruno Fernandes if he signed with United where he'd just be literally flying off the bat he would he would need to develop within a team like that so how great is he you know he's he's amazing at Villa but He's got no one to pass to. He's not mm. really scored much this season. Yeah, I don't know. He is literally their only decent player, though, I would say, within certain boundaries. He's not. He's the standout player, isn't he, quite clearly, for the whole thing. That last-minute header from Walcott, oh, that was a real hammer blow for Villa. And I think that was the nail that sends them down to the championship again. And they needed a win, and 87th minute they couldn't hold on. And, and you know, Walcott doing the damage and... Imagine Theo Walcott sending you down. That, if that was anything to rub salt in the wounds, it was someone who hasn't played the whole of Project Restart and never scores headers. Two games left for Aston Villa. One is against Arsenal, which incidentally I would think would be the perfect destination for Jack Grealish would be Arsenal. I think he'd work well with Mikel Arteta. He feels like an Arsenal player. I think they'd love him there. I don't think there's any rumours linking him with a move to Arsenal, but I think it'd be perfect. So they've got Arsenal at Villa Park and then they've got the last day of the season. Could be a relegation shootout. It's West Ham versus Aston Villa for the final day of the season, but it's a difficult job to stay in the Premier League for them. Quick word on Everton as well. Ancelotti looks really off with Everton <laughs> at the moment. They've had a couple of really poor displays. I mean, he said in the post-match 
interview last night. He didn't think it was a poor display, but it wasn't of the standard that you should expect from Everton. It feels like they're just waiting for next season now, Niall. Oh, 100%. And Ancelotti, as you say, is temper. You could see, I mean, if there was a thermometer hanging out of his mouth, the glass would have exploded at the end by the end of the game. You could just gradually see him getting more and more angry. And as a cool Italian man who's seen and done everything in the game, both as a player and a manager, you know, you don't expect him to lose his temper. But this is kind of the first project that Ancelotti has taken on, at least since his early managerial days, where he's managing a team where the expectation is not to finish in the Champions League places. He's probably, with no offence to the Everton squad, managing players that aren't up to the standard that he's used to. I remember watching Carlo Ancelotti bring his AC Milan side to to Fratton Park 10 or so years ago. And, you know, they had like three Ballon d'Or winners in their squad. And now Ancelotti's managing the likes of Alex Awobi. So, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's the kind of way uh, things have transpired. But I think he knew that the challenge was going to be a tough one. The way he kind of lost his rag at Pickford last night for me was really, really interesting because he slowly started to get more and more angry with the whole team. But he did give Pickford a bit of a volley at one point and really kind of gave him some dag and said, listen, Jordan, what are you doing? But I think you're right. Next season can't come quick enough for Everton. They're in mid-table at the moment. They're just in a bit of a limbo. They're not going to go down. There's no way they're getting anywhere close to the European spots with two games to go. And I think it is just about, you know, project rebuild in the summer for Everton. What can they sign? What can they bring in? Um, And Ancelotti will have joined the club back um, earlier this season with assurances that he would be able to rebuild the squad. Whether that's changed now due to coronavirus would be really interesting to see. So I think all eyes on Everton, to be honest, uh, in the summer and see what they do, because a lot of people this season tip them to be in the Europa League spots and they're absolutely nowhere near, really. I'll tell you what, if Pickford's distribution goes, he's not offering a lot, is he? That's a a worry for Everton. If he's not passing the ball out from the back, then you probably want to look elsewhere for a goalkeeper. Let's move on to Crystal Palace versus Manchester United. A 2-0 win for Manchester United. They are still Steve fifth. That must be frustrating because I'm pretty sure when they started their unbeaten run, 19 games I think it is now unbeaten for Manchester United, they were fifth at the start of that and you're still fifth. Are you ever going to get into Champions League? Are you ever going to get that fourth place? (laughs) That's hilarious, isn't it? That we've 19 unbeaten games and we've not moved anywhere in the league because... As again, there's so many false dawns this season. It's been unbearable. And when we had that chance to reach the third spot, and it was such a glorious chance against Southampton, we once again blew it with um, a a lackadaisical defence right at the last minute. I mean, there's there's pictures of sort of Maguire just sort of standing there open mouth watching what's going on and stuff. And it's been immensely frustrating. And last night was very frustrating. We won 2-0, but honestly, up until that first goal went in, we, I just thought we looked poor, just really, really poor. And who knew Matic would be turn out to be one of the star players of this restart? It's been absolutely bizarre. He was he had fans <laughs> on his he's had fans on his back all this season. When Mourinho was around, he was like, "What's he all about? Get a creative player on. He's slow. He's useless. He's become like." castle in the middle of the pitch that can knock hold and distribute absolutely fine i mean it's not a pacey player but achieving that central defensive midfield sort of position to the absolute letter he's you could say that about a lot of players though couldn't you steve in that manchester united squad now that they looked like they weren't good enough and i'd put luke shaw in that category i'd put anthony martial in that category as well you've had a lot of fans martial at manchester united but he's never looked like he could be that world beater suddenly the last four weeks, he does. And you have to think, why is that? And it's clearly, I would say, down to Bruno Fernandes, really. He he sort of opens up Oli's mind to think of different things to do with the rest of the team and how Bruno f- distributes the ball, passes the ball, and even and Greenwood as well. I mean, my goodness me. His shot, both legs, anywhere around that box, you've mm. got to be pretty terrified as a, as a goalie. He, he's going to be incredible. In a few, in a couple of years' time, it's just, I mean, it obviously, he's amazing now. But a bit of strength and hopefully a few VIR decisions that go his way, rather than getting literally trodden on, um, <laughs> which was absolutely shocking as well. Back to last night's game, we we ground out that win. Really, I, mm. I, I thought we, I thought we could have done a lot better than what we did. We we looked we looked fairly. 
they, you know, last night's game looks to gives me worry about what it's all building up to, which is that Leicester game at the end <laughs> of the season. Honestly, everything is building up to that. And it's Chelsea have got Wolves be... as well, Steve. Chelsea have got Wolves on that final day, so it's like properly down to the wire. <laughs> really? But it's down to us beating Leicester, isn't it? At the end of the yeah. day, if we beat Leicester, we're in top mm. four. And I, I said on the podcast at the start of the month that that, that thing with City wouldn't stand. We, we have to get that top four slot. We had the glorious chance to get it against Southampton. We've literally thrown that away, and now we're, we're scraping. And that Leicester game... Who isn't going to be up for that game in Leicester? <laughs> it's against United. Everyone hates United. And United are so capable of making mistakes. It's it's frightening. It's frightening. Mm. It's going to be incredible. And I will literally have no skin left on my fingers at the end of that game because <laughs> we, could, we can throw a game away at any mm. minute against mm. a decent opposition. And that still, still now... Is it's so worrying about United? It's it's crazy. They're just frustrating beyond belief this season. I'm backing United for top four on this one. I think they're going to do it, and it reminds me at the moment last night's game particularly because I thought they didn't play well, but they still got the result. It reminded me of Fergie era United, not just in the way they were playing with the fullbacks pushing on, but just that ability to play badly. David De Gea had a rare good game, and they just ground out the win. Crystal Palace incredibly frustrated by it. Steve Parrish coming out afterwards saying how angry he was with the VAR for the foul on Zaha for the penalty that was turned down. It was waved away by the ref. I don't think it even went to VAR, the penalty appeal, which is really weird because it did look like a clear-cut penalty. Yet again, we're talking about VAR confusion, VAR getting it wrong. Um, But it, it does feel like Palace could have a point from last night, Niall. Yeah, possibly, but I mean, I'm just thinking a little bit boohoo. So what? They've got nothing. They've got nothing to play for. They've lost five games in a row. They're in absolutely dismal form. They're secure mathematically, so they're not going to go down. Mm. They blew their chance of being an outside shot for the Europa League spots. So what? Why? I mean, I, I know you're going to feel hard done by in any game, but it's not going to. In the grand scheme of things, you know, the, the higher you finish up the table, the extra couple of million you get from the Premier League. So maybe that's what Steve Parrish is whining about with the state of the club of the game's finances at the moment. But Steve Parrish, I think he's got a little bit of a neck to come out and complain when the fans are starting to get sick to death of them not making any signings. They've had an outside chance to get into Europe and they've blown it. I don't think that's Roy Hodgson's fault. I think Roy Hodgson has kind of subconsciously come out in press conferences and said, give me something to work with. Their squad at Crystal Palace is ancient. They've got so many old players. Well, I don't think he's even subconsciously said that. He's been quite <laughs> frank and said, I- I'm not being given money to spend on players. And that's frustrating. And I don't blame him for being annoyed because he's done an unbelievable job to keep them up. And I think Crystal Palace, and I've said this on the podcast before, and this is to no offence to Palace fans, I think they're one of the smaller clubs in the Premier League that have done exceptionally well to stay up for as long as they have. And they've now established Mm. themselves as a top-flight club, and they've not really built on that. And I think now is the time, or maybe last summer was the time, and instead they're going and buying players like Cenk Tosin, and they've still got Christian Benteke, and one of those things where I'm not even a Palace fan but it frustrates me because I can see that they want something to cheer about that's a club and I've said it on the podcast numerous times they've been in existence since 1905 and they have never won a major trophy in their history I mean think about that Crystal Palace a Premier League side that have never won anything they've never been to Wembley and tasted silverware they got beat by United in the FA Cup a couple of years ago I mean they still talk about that day at Wembley where they got beat by United the game's not about losing, it's about winning, it's about glory. So I think it's only fair for Crystal Palace fans to demand a little bit more ambition and for Steve Parrish to come out and complain about something like VAR when they've not really put the leg, uh, the groundwork in off the pitch in terms of transfers. don't know, it feels a bit weird to me. You think I'm, you'll think I've gone insane here now, but we uh, we got a new <laughs> radiator during lockdown, right? <laughs> the option was... You either Stop showing use... off, Steve. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a total point to this. You can buy radiator paint, right? And you can, and you can rip. You can put PTFE tape round the uh, the joints where it's leaking, and you can make the radiator look new, and you can stop the leaking joints and all that. But eventually, you're gonna have to replace the radiator. So we just decided to replace it. You either buy new players, you either get on board, or eventually this year, next year, whatever year, you're going down, or you're doing nothing, or you're a waste of time. They either buy players and try and structure the 
a team or they just end up going down just a treadwater team another one just in the middle of the premier league and if they don't they don't buy and keep sort of repainting that radiator they just nothing's going to happen from ever literally ever it must be frustrating beyond belief you could moan about offside it wasn't even offside sorry it was offside the toe you, that's just the way VAR is. It's the toe. There's no point in moaning. You either sort of get on board and buy some players or just get off to the plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic Shanna's analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Get a new radiator, Steve. Then you're sorted. Right, let's move on to uh, Leicester City versus Sheffield United. Now, Leicester were desperate for a win yesterday to hang on to that Champion League spot. And they got it. They've now got Europa League. That's that's kind of bang on now. But they need to potentially continue this form towards the end of the season to hang on to that top four spot. I've already nailed my colours to the mast. I'm saying Manchester United are going to get top four. So Chelsea, United, City, Liverpool. What do you reckon, Steve? Do you reckon Leicester City are going to be in that? I guess it's it's kind of between your lot and Leicester City for that top for, top four spot, isn't it? God, I mean, what? As if I'm, I can't possibly say Leicester. If you look on paper, we're we're going to take that spot. It's going to go to that final game. We're going to take that spot, and it'll be down to our error more than anything. If we don't, I was just thinking about the Europa thing, though. Like, there's countries in the Europa League that are still on 14 day uh, quarantine after visiting. <laughs> you can't. You just can't function. The, that mm. kind of thing. So God knows what's going to happen with that. They'd have to be private jets bundled into... It'd be like a military operation just to get a team to a stadium because what they, they can't come back and quarantine for 14 days after going to Kazakhstan or whatever. So God knows what's going to happen. Um, yes, Leicester, they can fight and fight and fight and it'll all go down to that last game and it'll be, it'll be down to our error that they beat us rather than anything else. But that said... They've got a better goal difference, and obviously that's why we're fifth right now. And that would be another United error that we we just draw with them, and that would be the most sort of flatulent end to the season for United <laughs> I could possibly imagine. <laughs> it was a good performance from Leicester City last night, Niall. Chris Wilder was furious with his players, which I guess kind of shows the standards that he now holds the Sheffield United squad in, that he expects better against Leicester but Jamie Vardy was looking quite sharp missed a few chances but was getting in good positions and they fully deserved their 2-0 victory so they are hitting form at the right time well yeah they've been shocking haven't they I I laid into them on yesterday's podcast um, and said that they've blown their chance at top four and like you Jim I think Manchester United will get in there I just think they're a better team than Leicester at this moment in time and I think they've shot themselves in the foot with the way that Shaglar Soyuncu, their big Turkish defender, got sent off against Bournemouth, where he basically booted Callum Wilson in the back of the leg, which was just stupid. Um, so I think, to be honest, that you know they'll miss him, especially against Manchester United, with the you know considering their forward players and how their forward players have played in the last couple of weeks. I mean, of the goals that they've scored and the impact that they've had. So missing one of your best centre halves, and they've lost Ricardo Pereira as well, who's been really crucial for them. But Madison is coming back to fitness. Damare Gray got a goal last night, which would be good for his confidence. So, yeah, I mean, I think Leicester will be happy with the win last night. Brendan Rodgers will know that they have to be on it. The next two, three games, they have to win them. Because when you think about the cushion that they had, nine points, it might have even been more at one point to the um, to, out, to outside of the top four, then, you know, they would have been going into these last three games had they kept up that cushion, thinking, all right, we can afford a few slip-ups and we're pretty much guaranteed Champions League football. But... No, they've lost and drawn and they've not really had much great form since Project Restart began and I think they've only got themselves to blame. But as you mentioned, they did play well last night. They guaranteed themselves at least a Europa League spot. They will not finish lower than sixth come the end of the season now with that win over Sheffield United. And Sheffield United, on on you know on the flip side to that, that is a big blow to their European aspirations. And I'm a little bit, I feel a bit sorry for them because they deserve it this season. They've been they've been really really good, but a couple of banana skin dodgy results, uh, a couple of three nil losses back to back, really kind of did do the damage for Sheffield United. You know they went and beat Chelsea, but beating Chelsea and Leicester, two top four sides back to back, is always going to be a difficult ask. But as you mentioned, Chris Wilder kind of given his side a a bit of a kick up the backside, that shows the sort of manager he is. He demands success 
absolutely 100%. I remember tellingly when Dean Henderson made pretty much the only mistake he's made all season against Liverpool where he let the ball through his legs. Everyone said, oh, you know, Dean Henderson, let him have that mistake. And Chris Wilder went, no, not really. I don't accept mistakes at this football club. I'm annoyed at him. And I think that goes to show just the sort of character that Wilder is. So yeah, Leicester, as as Steve says, they've got the advantage by the modicum of goal difference. But again, there, there is a game between now and the end of the season when they face Manchester United. So I think it is the old cliche, focus on the next one, because if that goes belly up for them, then they could be uh, really kissing goodbye to the top four. And that top four is so important, not just in terms of European football, but in terms of the players that will stay at the football club over the summer. I'm thinking Chilwell, Madison are players that want to play Champions League football. So where they finish has a massive impact on the transfers they'll be making as well. Right, let's move on to the final game from last night, Southampton versus Brighton. Niall, time to admit, come on. These two teams are both playing really attractive football at the moment. And that game last night was a great game of football. Uh, I've no hatred towards Brighton, but 100% maybe more hatred towards Southampton. So I happily admit that (laughs) Brighton uh, are playing good football. And I think that's what they took the gamble on Graham Potter for. And I think that they were so impressed with him that they handed him a five-year deal just a few months into the season, which even took Graham Potter by surprise, which he admitted himself that he was not expecting to get a contract extension so soon into his tenure at Brighton. But they do play a good brand of football at Brighton. They've got sort of languid centre-halves, big rangy tall players like Adam Webster and Dan Byrne, who are both massively over six foot. Dunk is playing unbelievably and he should be in with a shout for Gareth Southgate's England squad because yeah. I think he's been so good the last couple of seasons. He really has. And, you know, he's one of those gems in fantasy football where he's not too expensive for a defender, but yet he always seems to come up with these points. So they've got a real good crop of, of, of centre-backs there that can play out from the back. But then again, we've seen the mistakes that they can make when you do play that style of football. It does come with uh, the occasional mistake, as we saw them make against Liverpool when they got beaten by three goals to one. Adam Webster made a mistake on that occasion. So, yeah, I mean, they do play a good brand of football at Brighton. Absolutely no doubts about that. And they replaced Chris Hewton with Graham Potter because they thought, well, if we're going to stay up in the Premier League by a couple of points, we may as well do it in an attractive way. Um, And that's exactly what's happened. And I think Graham Potter's delivered that. I still think that... You know, he would have been slightly disappointed with the way that his side have lost the last couple of games because they got hammered um, a couple of times and they've had probably the toughest running of all teams in the Premier League, I thought, that were possibly in danger. But they got the job done early doors with a draw against Leicester and a massive win against Arsenal, which was really big for their survival hopes. Otherwise, they would have been in serious trouble down the bottom, I think. So that point, I think, against Southampton last night does secure them for another season. And I think we can be excited about what we might see from Brighton moving forward personally. For Southampton, yeah, I'll admit it, Jim. They're playing well at the moment. Absolutely no doubt about it. Danny Ings scored again. Cannot deny the man has been on absolute fire this season. Will he get a move away? I don't know. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point later on in the show. But for me, it still kind of screams, if Ings doesn't score, then who is? Um, Mm. They're relying on James Ward-Prowse from set pieces. And they're relying on Danny Ings to find them a goal from somewhere. And, you know, strikers don't continue form like that forever it makes you wonder where that form's been in Danny Ings Um, I know he's been injured when he was at Liverpool and stuff but I mean he will hit a dead patch at some point we saw it with Jamie Vardy earlier on for Leicester this season where he went sort of almost three months without scoring a goal that will happen to Ings at some point Um, and it's how Southampton combat that I think it will be really telling for them you have to give credit to the manager um, although I do like to kind of give him a bit of stick but to, to bounce back the way they did from the 9-0 loss, I think makes a big difference. Mm. Um, I don't think it is fair play, Southampton, for sticking with him. I do not buy this narrative at all because Southampton had sacked three or four managers in the space of three or four years. And I just don't think they could simply afford to sack another one because you still well, got I to pay they, managers. I think they were believing in the system and they could, uh, they could clearly see some kind of progress being made. That's nonsense because they didn't want egg on their face again from making a shocking appointment. They sacked Pellegrino. Um, Pochettino got poached, obviously. Um, they sacked Mark Hughes. They, they, they've sacked too many managers in such a short space of time. You've got to remember, they have to pay the rest of these managers off with severance mm. payments. You don't just say, thank you very much, your time's done, and you stop paying them the wages. It's what people seem to forget, especially fans, when they like sack the manager, sack the manager every two seasons. It costs. It adds up. Mm. And that affects the playing budget. And I think that that's a, a really key point. I think Southampton's players are going to need a serious shake-up because I still think they have their issues. They've got some good players and when they gel well and perform well as a team, they do play good football. I'll I'll admit they've turned in some really good performances since Project Restart began, but I do think next season or in the summer, they're going to need to try and find some gems from summer, which they've done for so many years now in the Premier League. 
um, they're going to have to continue to do that because I do fear for them. Well, I don't fear for them. I don't really care about them, to be honest. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's difficult no, to see him spending any serious money, though, isn't it, Steve? I mean, you've got yeah. Danny Ings is on fire this season. Che Adams had a, a decent game last night. I thought his link-up play was really good. He just had a couple of chances that, if you're a striker, you just expect a striker to do a little bit better out of. And they've got some decent players in that team. There's the, I completely forget his name, the fellow that's linked with Everton. Oh, Hoybier. Yeah, Hoybier looks like a decent player, but you, you can't see him going out and spending 20 million quid in the transfer window. They're more likely to be, they are a selling club. They're more likely to ship players out than bring players in. They're just going to have to hold stronger for another season, I would say, because they're, they're, they're always a bogey team, Southampton. Looking at the stats from last night, it's they must have been banging on the door like mad because almost 70% possession, 20 shots five on target so god knows where the others went but that's sort of blowing brighton away that they must be galvanized against that win against united they've had a great restart um southampton are always a problem team to come up against i would say certainly for united i found that they always worry me when i see them you never quite know what's going to happen with them um yes they'll have to buy but if they can just hold strong for one more season and get this this wretched mm. season out of the way and save up a bit of cash they could they could be up there, you know, if they if they if they buy right and find a manager that they're happy with, if they're happy with Hasselhoff or whatever he's called, and stick in there. What what are they? Twelve? Hasselhoff. Rabbit Hutch. Hasselhoff. Yeah. It's German uh, for Rabbit Hutch. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I've never met no, a guy not. called Rabbit Hutch. <laughs> Ralph Rabbit Hutch. Imagine both that. safe anyway. Uh, both safe. Ralph, Southampton Ralph and Brighton is both the most safe. normal both. part of his name, <laughs> and even that's stretching it. Both safe, both playing decent football, and I think next season will be really interesting for Southampton and Brighton. Sorry, Niall. We're going to talk more about Danny Ings in a little bit, actually. We'll get into the AQA section of the podcast, which is all your questions answered. We've got a question about Danny Ings' future, so we'll do that in a little bit, and we'll do a little preview of West Ham versus Watford as well. The relegation 12-pointer. We'll do that right after this. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We have got the AQA section of the podcast coming up. We're going to answer a few of your questions. But first, there's a game tonight. It's a relegation 3,000-pointer. It is West Ham versus Watford. Two teams that will be thinking if they can get three points, they will be pretty much safe from relegation. So, Steve, who are we backing? There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer here. What's the wrong answer? Who are we backing? God. West Ham? Uh, I'm gonna, I think we should leave this in the podcast. But my son's just walked in to my, my little recording studio. Do you want to say hello? Hello. Who do you support, <laughs> Bay? City. He supports Manchester City. He's not a West Ham fan. We are based in Manchester, or I'm based in Manchester, so he does support Manchester City, which just shows the pain that he can tell is etched on my face. West Ham Sorry? Supports West Ham too. <laughs> yeah, you could be um, the pain that I go through as a West Ham fan. Go on, Steve. You were saying who are you backing tonight? West Ham, Watford. I said West Ham because, but like, they've got thirty-five. They're they're a game ahead of everyone else. They're all right if they if either of these two lose, they might be all right, wouldn't they? They could so be. I think they're, they're three points away from safety, both at the moment, but. It is going to be, I mean, if if it's not the bottom three that go down, so if it's not the existing Bournemouth, Aston Villa, we know Norwich are gone, obviously, then it's one of these two that's going to drop in and replace them. Watford are in decent form at the moment. They've picked up two wins from two after looking absolutely abject post-project restart. And West Ham obviously had their emphatic win against Norwich last time out with Mikel Antonio becoming the first West Ham player ever to score four goals in a Premier League game. So both in decent form, Niall. I think the more optimistic supporters will think, well, we've probably done enough to stay up. But this three points does secure it, right? Yeah, definitely. If you win this game tonight, West Ham or Watford, you're staying up. It's as simple as that. Um, And I don't even think a draw would be the worst result in the world because that would extend the gap to four Mm. points between from Watford and Aston Villa in the relegation zone however I think this is an interesting one because I think if you go in with form you pick Watford they've won their last two games 
Um, they beat Norwich City by two goals to one. Then they beat Newcastle by two goals to one as well in their last fixture. Whereas um, West Ham just beat Norwich 4-0. And I know 4-0 is a big scoreline. And as you said, Antonio scored a bag full of goals. But Norwich have been the whipping boys. They've lost 25 games this season, which is just an outrageous amount of games to lose. This is it. It's it's come down to this, the Friday night it, clash. And between <laughs> these two W teams, which one is going to win? I don't know. I mean, the, the most obvious thing for me to say is it's going to end up a draw. But yeah, I do fancy someone like, to nick this. I, I really I don't know who, but I mean, this is a tough one to predict. It really is. It could go either way. Flip a coin. Would you have, I put West Ham as a nicker, but I think this has got draw written all over it. I really do. Mm. Watford expected <laughs> to be, be unchanged. Troy Deeney is still struggling with his knee, but he's playing through the pain at the moment. Sebastian Haller could be back for West Ham. Big choice to make for David Moyes, whether you drop Antonio or push him out wide and bring in Haller up top. Now he's regained fitness. There's an interesting question for both these teams of what you do at the end of the season if and when they survive. Because they've both done similar things. They've both bought in managers halfway through a season to fix a problem and keep them in the Premier League. But neither, you'd probably say, are the managers that the fans want in Nigel Pearson or David Moyes. So if they stay in the Premier League, what do you do? If you're the board, do you go, well, well, they've done the job, we'll stick with them? Or do you twist and try and maybe bring in a long-term manager that's going to do a Graham Potter at Brighton and play a more attractive style of football? It's, It's easy to say, we'll bring in a manager who'll play an attractive game. What isn't easy is to ensure that he's got the personnel to implement that style with. I think that's the problem that West Ham have had, particularly in recruitment over the last few seasons. If you're going to buy to a style of play, make sure you do that. For West Ham, it looks like they're scanning the market for players who've got the best statistics that they can afford that are in their price range and just bring them in. It's not. It's like they're not, they're not signing players with a view to implementing a style. What is David mm. Moyes' style of football? Turgid. Getting you could call it turgid, I suppose, but it is getting something out of a squad like he did with Everton. It's getting results out of a squad and getting them as high in the table as possible. And mm. there's no tangible style from Everton David now? How, how long ago did he have a good season oh, at Everton? Coming up it to was... 10 years. Yeah, Exactly. I, I, I th- it just doesn't seem like a manager who... And it, I guess you'd kind of make the same comparisons about Mourinho, that he's an old-school manager and maybe his... His way is a little bit old-fashioned and a little bit lost now. And I'd say the same for Nigel Pearson. Potentially, they're good man-managers and Pearson had a great impact when he first came to Watford and he got his team running through walls, but then it kind of dropped off a little bit. I I don't know if either of those managers are modern-thinking football managers who adapt their team to the opposition and who, who, who can inspire the fan base and make them buy into the way, make them buy into a plan, as you say neither manager would seem to have a a style or a plan about what they do. If your if your opus was Everton like 10 years ago then really he's not a modern forward thinking manager that's going to produce much now. He's not he's not suddenly mm. going to go back re-study football from the from the scratch, join the French resistance for a year, have an open mind, come <laughs> back dead long air and start saying right now I've seen what football should be like. He's going to keep thinking, what did I do at Everton 10 years ago that was okay? And just keep trying to emulate that for the rest of his life is basically is what he's going to do, is it not? Well, he did oh, the yeah. Foreign Legion thing, didn't he? He went to Sociedad and was oh. there as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to the final bit of the podcast. AQA, any question answered? We've got three questions. We've all picked one each. These are coming via social media. You can find all our social media via our new website, by the way, at sports-social.co.uk. You can find links to our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook on there, plus details of how to find our match reports and our team news via your smart speakers as well so everything you need is on the website sports-social.co.uk going to start off with a question from daryl on instagram he says hi guys love the podcast uh, help me out through the long nights as a milkman apparently why is he delivering milk at night that feels a little bit creepy that there's a milkman <laughs> just creeping around putting milk in your doorstep at night surely it's the morning but anyway uh, early morning got... late night same thing jim is it <laughs> Yeah. weird he's got a question got for the podcast the cows, put it in the bottle come on it takes all night it's like baking bread you got to start really early 
<laughs> right, he's got a question about Daryl Ing, uh, Dan, Danny Ings. Anyway, he says, could you see a move to a club like Spurs as a possible final? Big chance for him. Jose wouldn't be put off by the age, and Ings, I don't personally think, would mind playing settle, second fiddle to Harry Kane. I feel Spurs definitely need a backup striker. So is Ings the man to be that backup? Interesting idea. Potentially, that Ings could work at Spurs as backup for Harry Kane. What are you saying, Niall? Well, it's about game time, isn't it? And I mentioned this on the podcast before, and we seem to have spoken about Danny Ings a lot lately. And mm. it's more about, for me, the fact that he's at a club in which he grew up nearby. He's from Winchester, which is, you know, sort of a Southampton stronghold near the South Coast. Um, I think he pretty much grew up as a Southampton fan, or at least a lot of people that grew up around him would have done so. So he's in a comfortable environment down in the south. That's where he's from. That's where he grew up. And I think that factors a lot into how he's playing at the moment. I think you can't take that for granted, exactly how comfortable footballers feel in the environment that they're in. And I think, you know, it was a good move for Danny Ings at the right time to move back from the northwest down to the south coast. And it seems to have been paying dividends for him. So a move to Tottenham and to London probably um, won't rely, uh, won't require him to kind of make a, a massive move um, away from the south, which I know these things are probably quite trivial when people are thinking, oh, it's only a footballer and playing a game of football, but they do make a difference. They really do. And I think that would be a question that he needs to ask himself. Secondly, he's guaranteed to start at Southampton when he's fit. Guaranteed to start. He's been banging the goals in. He's in a rich vein of form. Is he going to want to sacrifice that for a Spurs side in which often get criticised for the way that Jose Mourinho plays his football? And for a Spurs side that when Harry Kane is fit, you're not getting a sniff. Whether you're Danny Ings and you've bagged 30 goals a season, if Harry Kane had scored five goals this season, he'd still be in first name on the team sheet in terms of strikers. So in terms of being guaranteed game time, I think that would be the real problem. However, we know Kane's record with injuries. So Ings is not going to be sat there thinking, well, I'm not going to get a game this season because he knows how often... Harry Kane gets injured but also on the flip side you look at Ings injury record in the past and what the sort of troubles he had at Liverpool he never really got an opportunity there he's managed to keep himself fit at Southampton whether he can do that at Tottenham remains to be seen obviously he's not there um, I don't know if there's any links or rumours taking him there but I personally don't think he would sacrifice what he's got at Southampton at this moment in time I think he's found a manager that he clicks with a set of players that he seems to be getting chances created through and, you know, he's comfortable in an environment where he grew up. So I think Ings would, it would take a, a big offer for him to kind of, to move somewhere else. I think maybe we wait and see what happens next season. And, you know, strikers are the biggest commodity in football. Scoring goals is how you win games. And so therefore this summer, I think if, if Ings is going to be for sale, which I don't think he will be, it's going to command a big fee. And on the flip side to that, I don't think Tottenham are willing to pay big money to bring players mm. in this year. You have to ask yourself, what does Ings want from his life? Because... <laughs> Tottenham say he was going to Tottenham literally never win anything they're five point they're five places above Southampton in the league but realistically in the same situation not really much going on nothing in Europe if he's happy at Southampton down by the coast nice beach you know fresh air fishing all that kind of thing then do it or move to Tottenham and what's what's his outlook there what is he what does he hope to achieve if he went to Tottenham Second fiddle to Kane, possibly. He'd get some games. Would he win a trophy? No. Would he be in Europe? Possibly, over the next couple of years. But that would be it, because Tottenham never win a trophy, ever. So he could stay at Southampton and be very happy, or go to Tottenham and move into a dressing room that must right now, because of Mourinho, have the vibe of death row. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not really appealing to many people. So that... It, it, does he want to be happy? Does he want to push himself? And would Spurs even be the team if he wanted to push himself and win a trophy? So I think happiness wins at the moment, really, doesn't it? Still only 27, Danny Ings. So he's hardly at the tail end of his career either. He's, he's kind of probably in his prime, you might argue. But I think you're both right. I think he's better off staying at Southampton once bitten, twice shy kind of thing for both him as a player moving to a big club and a big club taking a chance on him as well potentially right now next question who have you picked uh, this one comes from danny also on instagram it might be a logistical nightmare but what about opening the gates earlier to stadiums and having a 50 percent attendance limit 
one meter is about every two seats, one every two seats, and everyone wear masks so you can just test the water a bit. You get a decent atmosphere, you get the players more excited to play, and the smaller teams get a little bit extra money. Steve, I'll throw that one to you first because I know you mentioned earlier on about the Europa League and about how a team's going to kind of get themselves over to different countries and different countries are in different stages of opening up post-coronavirus. And I use the term post-coronavirus, but my first reaction would be that it hasn't gone away yet. So in terms of opening stadiums up and doing the old one between two and leaving a, a, every other seat free just to kind of keep the social distancing intact, I mean, would that, would that be something you would back? Think about it, right? You'd have to file in. Everyone have to be a metre apart at least as they file in. Everyone have to sit there with masks on it's just it's just bleak it's bleak and the, the virus has not gone away i know we're all happy you know those three months are over but it is not gone and it is waiting it is waiting for another chance to flourish and and come back and give everyone the most horrific symptoms known so i think it looks very very bleak for now and i, I hate to be miserable i'm a stand-up comic i cannot literally work at the moment it's impossible it's a it's borderline illegal for me to go and stand in a public place and talk to more than one person. So this doesn't look good. It doesn't bode well. I totally, I like Danny's optimism that we could uh, 50% attendance and space people out. Just think of the logistics of it all. It's just almost impossible. And it's so depressing to think about. We can't do these things right now, but that's the reality. Like, mm -hmm. how would you even come in and out of a stadium and stay a metre apart? It's just not possible. It just isn't possible. Jim, maybe you agree or disagree with this. I think the big problem is with season ticket holders and away fans. You know, for instance, Old Trafford holds 75,000. Let's say they've got 35,000 season ticket holders or even 40,000 season ticket holders. You're not going to be able to get them all in. So who gets priority? But at the same time, that means that no away fans will be allowed in the ground. So... As Steve says, logistically, it would be a problem. So, I mean, what's your take on it? Right now, I think it's much too early to be letting any fans back to the stadium. But who knows where we'll be at this time in 2021 if we're still facing potential restrictions and we're going, well, we need to get some fans back in the stadium. They're looking at this in rugby union already. And I only know this because my dad is a Harlequins season ticket holder and he's keen to kind of get back to watching games when the premiership season restarts so the way harlequins are doing it they've got a capacity of fifteen thousand people and the kind of setup there it's a little bit more open than your average football stadium so there's a bit better airflow and airflow is important with this kind of stuff so there with a fifteen thousand seater stadium or ground you might call it they're looking to let three thousand two three thousand people into that stadium which is a massively reduced capacity and the way they're doing it is the season ticket holders are going into a ballot who they can then apply for tickets and they'll be handing them out on a random basis to a random amount of season ticket holders, which feels like a fair way to do it. And my point to him was, I don't fancy it. I don't fancy being in a big crowd at this point in the spike or whatever it is. And he was like, well, yeah, do you know what? Is it any worse than going to the pub? And it's probably not that much worse than going to the pub because you are outside and you are well spread out. I don't fancy it personally. You wouldn't get me in a stadium, but there are ways to look at it if people do want to get fans back into grounds. And it might be that out of a 75,000-seater stadium like Old Trafford, you'll have 10,000 people in there. Hold on, hold on. It, which Sorry feel like a Manchester City game. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, Jim. Literally, three minutes ago, as we were recording the podcast, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announces football fans could return to stadiums from October. There you go. I'm sure that is a very well thought out and uh, yeah. scientifically backed policy as all the government's policies are. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that, how the actual, what the details are like. So, I mean, October, a lot can change in three months, can't it? Yeah, everything sort of negative that we've said about being in the stadium, just, just disregard that and go, go in October. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, everything's, everything's totally fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, if you get a mask, just put a sock around your face or <laughs> underwear. Like I found um, speedos over your ears with the rear at the at the mouthpiece. Perfect. So try, try all that. Have a great They've time. They've got that convenient meshing, stadium. haven't they, as well? Extra little bit of, uh, extra little bit of protection. I just right, don't, like, yeah, question, yeah. Please. don't like the term rear at the mouthpiece. I find that holds perfume really well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's crash on. Final question, please, Shannas. Okay, so this is from Cam on Insta. What do you think is the problem with Premier League teams struggling in the championships such as Huddersfield, Stoke and Sunderland? I'll go to you, Jimmy Boy, first. Um, I think it's a really weird question a little bit because then they're not Premier League teams anymore. They're championship teams and they've cut their cloth accordingly. I'd say... For the main part, particularly with Stoke and Sunderland, they're two teams that potentially just overreached in the Premier League, ended up in the Championship, and the Championship's a right to get out of, essentially. I think Stoke had a situation with Tony Poulis, and probably there's Premier League teams that we could compare them to at the moment, maybe like Burnley, that suddenly thought, we can do better than this. We can do better than what we're offering. We can play a better style of football, but weren't willing to invest in the personnel to play that style of football. Went down to the championship, had to lose their best players and have struggled to get back up. Sunderland, their downfall has been well documented in Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix, if you've watched it. It's a situation where, and it's slightly different there because they did invest in the playing squad, but they just failed to get it right over and over again. But I think it's as simple as the championship is an incredibly competitive league. It's really difficult to get out of. It's a shock to the system when you're used to playing Premier League football and you suddenly end up in the championship playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday and getting seven shades kicked out of you every single week. I think it's just really tough. As simple as that for me. Niall can probably speak with a little bit more authority because he supports a team that's been there and done this and failed Mm. to get back up. I thought it was quite interesting using Stoke as an example, saying they kind of want to change the management direction. <laughs> they went from Tony Pulis to Mark Hughes, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of a change of direction that actually was. Maybe they were yeah. just dreadful and got relegated. I think the key is squads, and I think we might see this with Norwich this year. And a lot of people saying that Norwich will be back up in the Premier League in the next couple of years. I'm not convinced. I'm really not convinced. A lot of people said the same thing uh, about other teams that have been relegated. We saw a kind of trend about 10 or so years ago where teams that did get relegated would come straight back up. I'm thinking the likes of West Brom and you get the old yo-yo clubs that bounce up and down between the divisions. I think the days of that are long gone because as you say, Jim, the championship's far too competitive and I think the squads get decimated they get ripped apart and if you look at Norwich and you've mentioned it before Jim as well about how you know Aaron's is probably going to get a move Jamal Lewis Todd Campwell Emmy Buendia these players are going to get moves away from Norwich Football Club as simple as that and you know without your key players that got you up you're going to struggle to do the same thing again without really replacing them and obviously replacements take time to bed in and I think that's the problem if you look at the Sunderland squad that got relegated from the Premier League by the time that they got to start the championship the following season they basically had like the bare bones of that squad left. And then you're talking about players on 45 grand a week playing for Sunderland down at the bottom end of the championship. And then they get relegated to League One and you've got players there that are sat there thinking, why am I playing for a bottom end championship club? You know, less than six months ago, I was playing at Old Trafford in the Premier League. And I think players then kind of give up the ghost a little bit. I think that there's a, a, a different amount of factors as to why teams don't really bounce back anymore. I think the championship one, reason number one, is far more competitive than it ever has been and will continue to be that way. Number two is that squads get decimated when you get relegated. Let's face it, the amount of teams that sign relegated players, and it will happen again, if Aston Villa go down, they will lose two of their best players, Tyrone Mings and Jack Grealish. I think it's as simple as that. And I think that's the way it goes. So... You know, I think that's the two main factors as to why teams don't really bounce back in the way they used to. I think that's so true. I think Jim's point as well, like about teams not being Premier League teams and actually just making it to the top and then they get relegated, then they hemorrhage players. And it's like when you, it's like these, have you ever seen those guys on those boats, those rubber dinghies when they're like about 20 Cub Scouts and they go, they send them down the rapids and at the end, it was they had a great time. But there's literally one slightly chubby kid and a broken oar left on the boat and everything else is gone. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's just, they just hemorrhage. As soon as, Sunderland's a great example, really. They just, you know, they lost the key keeper, the strikers, they had loan players and everyone just jumped ship. And that must be a, a nightmare situation to start in a new season where everyone's trying to build and get up to the Premier League. You're literally you're literally trying to come out of a busy tube where everyone just wants to get on it and push you out of the way. It must mm. be so difficult for a team coming back down. I'd say Norwich, famously up and down, up and down more than anyone. I remember Norwich as a kid 
in the, what was the first division then and mm. they were always able to come back up to the Premier League at some point. So obviously, usually every two, three, well, three, four years they seem to appear and then disappear again. Would you consider them a Premier League side or a, a championship nah. side that just keep popping in and having a look? You and I are slightly older, Steve, I think, than Niall, so yeah. we probably have fonder memories of Norwich in the Premier League than anyone else. Interestingly, though, I think they've probably, they're probably a Premier League team who've gone down who have kind of learnt from their mistakes because they were relegated previously and in real financial trouble after going down to the Championship. And Sophie, part of the sports social team, is a Norwich City fan. She was saying to me the other day that they're the first Premier League side who have finished first and second through the playoffs, uh, but then been relegated 18th, 19th and 20th, all within 10, 11 years. So they've kind of been reluctant to make that investment that a lot of teams do in the Premier League because they've done the other thing. They have gone down and they have been financially punished for doing so. So maybe they're now being cautious given what's happened to them in the past. Yeah, for me, I think I miss teams like Blackburn in the Premier League and to think that they won the Premier League and they're now down there, you know, in League One or they were and then back up in the Championship now. Teams like that, I mean, I remember growing up watching Blackburn Rovers being a half-decent side and, and being up there and knocking around those Europa places and again, Bolton under Big Sam, another team um, who were doing well. But yeah, I, I think it does change. I mean, you talk about Stoke, they were in the Premier League for 10 years and I think that was probably 10 years too long. Whole City, they were knocking around in the Premier League for years. I think we're getting the same thing now with the likes of AFC Bournemouth. Five years Bournemouth have been in the Premier League. Ten years ago, they were bottom of League Two, nearly getting relegated out of the Football League. So I think we need to give a little bit of perspective on these things. And it does beg the question, Norwich is a good example. When you get into the Premier League, what do the fans want? Do they want to stay up and become a Premier League regular? You know, because if you're Norwich, realistically, you're not going to compete, are you? Or do you kind of enjoy the fact that some seasons might be heartbreak, some seasons might be delight? It's the way football is. It's the joy of the game. It's why we love it. But um, I do think money plays a big part. And we'll see in the EFL in the next couple of seasons, salary caps, championship clubs will be um, limited to £18 million per season for wages for players, which when you compare that to Premier League clubs... um, it doesn't come close. So it's going to be really interesting to see how teams kind of deal with that salary cap when that gets brought in as well. Can I, can I say one thing I'm really looking forward to, just because of history, is Leeds coming up and mm. turning up at Old Trafford and everyone just giving each other a good old 1920s yeah. kicking <laughs> and then going back. And uh, yeah, that that's exciting. That's going to be exciting. I'm excited about Leeds coming up yeah. and seeing what happens because we've got some rivalry. I mean, some serious Saddleworth rivalry going on there. I don't know what it is. Well, I do. Away it days at Leeds are always fun anyway, no matter what team you support. It's always a good day out. Uh, that is it for Football Social Daily for today. Bumper episode, like I said, loads to talk about. Make sure you've clicked subscribe to this episode so you get every episode as soon as it's ready straight into your podcasting app or device and leave us a review on apple podcasts or however you listen steve Niall, thank you very much cheers guys and we'll see you next time football social daily spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com over 18s only terms and conditions apply please play responsibly be Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.